We are so pleased today to welcome Zuby to the program. Uh, you know him as a podcaster, of course, also a musician. He says, being coherent, quote, should be a minimum requirement of any world leader. Uh, pretty high standard there, Zuby. I don't know. We'll get into it with him. His podcast is Real Talk with Zuby. He was born in England, raised in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he attended, I believe, Oxford University. Yep. Uh, and he started... Uh, singing and rapping, uh, and his first album was successful. He has um, appeared in over 100 gigs, 10 different countries. You can follow him, uh, zubimusic.com, Z-U-B-Y. Uh, also, imzubi.com, I, no, Team Zuby, I beg your pardon. And Twitter is just at zubimusic, Z-U-B-Y. We'll be right back with Zuby. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Valentine's Day is around the corner, so it is time to look your absolute best. Our friends at GenuCell are celebrating Valentine's Day with a special gift just for you. From now until Valentine's Day, get a limited-time gift of beauty box free with your order at GenuCell.com Drew. Each beauty box has two of GenuCell's top sellers for you to give a try. It's absolutely free. And right now, save over 60% off all of our favorite GenuCell products with one of our customized skincare packages. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile. It's guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Delight yourself and a loved one with our limited edition bundles right now at GenuCell.com slash Drew. Use our special code Drew at checkout for extra savings off your order today. And remember, every order placed is automatically upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. That is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. We feel better, look better, have more energy to spare, but you could be missing out on all of those benefits if you're sleeping on sheets that are too hot or too cold or just plain uncomfortable. I have the solution. Cozy Earth Bedding. Cozy Earth is the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, loungewear, and more. They use premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo, and we sleep in them regularly. I wear their t-shirts. Susan wears their pajamas. Cozy Earth Bedding comes with a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on them, wash them, try them out. If you're not in love, just return them within 100 days for a full refund. Susan and I love them. In fact, we have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed right now, and they made a huge difference in our sleep. If you've never tried Cozy Earth, we have some awesome news. You can save up to 35% off Cozy Earth right now. But hurry, this offer will not last. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter my promo code DREW at checkout for up to 35% off on your first order. That is CozyEarth.com, promo code DREW, C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H, CozyEarth.com, code D-R-E-W. 
So as I said, uh, Zuby is a podcaster. It's Real Talk with Zuby. Also author. Uh, the book is Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everyone. Strong advice, it is called. Also a children's book at Brave, The Candy Calamity. And uh, he's also a speaker and a coach. Again, follow him, ZubyMusic.com, TeamZuby.com, Zuby Music on X and Instagram. Uh, and I think that's just most of this. is pretty much all of it. Please welcome Zuby. Hey, Dr. Drew, how's it going? It's great. How are you, sir? Are you uh, in this country or are you still traveling the world? I am currently in Florida, Miami to be specific. So, yeah, I'm here for now. I'll be uh, popping off to somewhere else after this and then somewhere else next week. So always on the move. It's interesting how different Florida is. I don't know if you ever run out to the... Uh, People's Republic of California, but uh, it, it is striking how different these two states are. It's it's almost like you are in a different country in Florida, at least from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I was actually in California last week. I was there for about ten days. I went to the Bay Area and then also to Los Angeles. I did a bunch of interviews for my podcast, which are going to be coming out over the next few months and featured on a few different people's podcasts as well. So, yeah, I uh, I hit the the rainstorms out there. The weather didn't get good until I was about to leave. But um, yeah. yeah, I actually had a good time in California. I know a lot of good people out there. So, A cu couple things. You got to see the press engaging in their panic porn while you were there witnessing that, guess what? There was water falling from the sky. It was raining. And that, that was the, the total story. And yet the press had to pump it out as though California was floating into the Pacific Ocean. It was insanity the way they went at it. But I hope people understand. Let's, let's add, talk about that for, straight off the top. I hope people understand how distorted the press is. I saw Mario uh, Nawal, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, Nawal, Nawal. He, he was, uh, he's like, <laughs> Nawal, I know. That's, that's my brain doing that. Don't, don't get old, everybody. And, uh, and, uh, and he, you know, he's the guy that does all the Twitter spaces and gets the extraordinary people in on those spaces. And, and some, I guess somebody took off after him in the press and he was saying something that I've been saying for, for years, but I, I, went viral with it recently. I said, you, you, God help you if they do a story on you. Then you will find how much distortion, how far from the truth they get. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've seen that a lot. Man, I, I guess it's been like that for decades, but it seems that it's been particularly bad over the past 10 years in particular. And I think there are a lot of potential reasons for that. But at the same time, we're seeing a massive rise in social, in social media, in independent media, lots of independent voices, independent podcasts. The, the whole situation is improving. I think we're, we're past the peak of the worst of it. I've said many times that we're past peak woke. And um, I think we're also in an interesting new paradigm of media. I completely agree with you on that, though. I, I worry about the peak. The woke word is gets sort of overused. I'm not sure what has been happening in the world today, but I, I know what you mean when you say that. But I don't know if you heard what happened in France today. They passed a law that will make it punishable by tens of thousands of dollars and years in prison for daring to say anything negative about mRNA vaccine technologies. Oh, wow. No, I haven't that? seen that. That's in France? Yep, and uh, no, I now seen there that. is uh, apparently the uh, their their version of the Supreme Court is going to look at it, but if it gets through that, this will be one of the most egregious 
restrictions on scientific discourse and free speech, I, I can imagine. I had the feeling France was coming out of this. I thought their youth there particularly were uh, becoming sort of uh, interested in liberty and interested in their own history and interested in their own culture. I saw that kind of happening. And then this, and so my fear is, back to your point about the, the media paradigm improving, that there is going to be these swings back that are going to be so aggressive and dangerous. This is one of them. Yeah, well, I know that the French people love a good protest. The, the French people are rather revolutionary, and I don't think they'd take something like that just laying down. Nobody knows how to uh, throw a good protest like the, the French people do. So I would be actually rather surprised if this one gets through without very heavy pushback, assuming that people are yeah. even aware that it's going on. Yeah. Well, the, the social media is uh, pushing it out pretty good. But uh, we, we learned uh, last time we visited Paris that the protests are Friday and Saturday night. Uh, so you'll have to wait till Saturday <laughs> this week to see if they come out. That's <laughs> a sort of typical French thing. It's like, yeah, we come out by the tens of thousands, Friday and Saturday. Seulement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what are you trying to accomplish with your podcast? Wow. Um Drew, my, the goal of my podcast is the same through line through everything I do, whether it's my music, my social media, my public speaking, my writing. It's all the same thing, man. When I was 18 years old, I decided that I wanted to use my voice to positively influence, inspire and motivate millions of people around the world. And I've been on a mission at this point for half of my life to do that. It started out with music. I went full time with my music in 2011. And then in 2019, I started my podcast. Same year, I wrote and released my first book, Strong Advice, and really started to grow and build up more momentum on social media. So over the course of time, I've added new elements to my arsenal. It started out with just music, but now it's music, writing, podcasting, speaking, other things. And yeah, like I said, the goal is simply to help make people better, um, help to there's so much negativity in media. We've already just touched on it. It doesn't matter whether you're talking yeah. about the news media. You could be talking about my genre of music, hip-hop and rap music, or popular music in general. You could be talking about the TV shows people are watching. All the stuff that people are consuming, so much of it pushes people in a negative direction. It preys upon fear. It preys upon greed. It preys upon animosity, uh, envy, uh, lots of the negative emotions, multiple of the seven deadly sins. And so through my music and everything else I do, I've always just wanted to try to push people in a better direction mentally, physically, spiritually, in terms of their careers, in terms of their relationships, in terms of their relationship with themselves, let alone with other people. Um, that's simply how I try to use my voice. I want people to think better. I don't want to, I'm, I'm careful in saying that I don't necessarily want to tell people what to think, but I do want to tell people to think. I think that we have a lot of cognitive laziness that's been plaguing our societies for many years at this point. I think with the rise of social media and the internet, there's a lot of positive and good that's come with that. But I also think that it's causing a lot of lazy thinking. It's causing a lot of uh, tribalism. It's fanning the flames of just a lot of idiocracy. Um, and I do my mm -hmm. best to be a positive light and voice in all of that, whether this is madness over politics or it's the culture war or it's the craziness we went through during the whole era which i kindly refer to as the scandemic era all of it mm. my, my goal is simply to point people towards the truth and encourage people to think if we reach different conclusions 
that's totally fine. But I think it's different if you reach a conclusion based off of your own independent thoughts and conversation based off if you reach a conclusion simply because the TV told you to or someone on social media told you to or you thought that your political tribe or whatever else it may be will think that you're a good and righteous person if you simply adopt the hive mind. That's not something that I promote. So from a lot of different angles, I say that's the that's the through line between all of the different things that I do in my career. So there's something interesting. I hope you'll sort of give me a permit me to sort of uh, reflect that that I'm used to when an 18 year old says I want to change the world. I'm used to those people growing up to be pretty narcissistic, and that is not you. It is not you. You're very humble. <laughs> but but I I think I think those people that declare they're going to change the world and stuff is like Greta Thunberg and stuff. And I, and I don't think that really is actually your intent. Your intent was just to do good. Right. You, I mean, and hopefully yeah, that then changes it, the world. It, it's a different thing. Yeah, than well, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think ultimately that is how you genuinely do change the world. I don't think you, you know, there, there is a time and place for activism and perhaps even for protest and for yelling and shouting and righteous indignation. But I think that the way you really change the world is you start with yourself and you make you you create the best version of yourself. You strive to reach your own potential. And that has downstream impacts on everyone who is around you immediately, your own family, your close friends, acquaintances. Then you can go on social media and online and other platforms. And you can use that ability and that talent stack that you've built up to guide other people and to help them solve their problems. I can't solve other people's problems for them, but I can certainly in various ways give them some advice, give them some motivation, give them some inspiration. And I think that that's how we do it. I think we make the world better by building better people and by encouraging people to be the best version of themselves. It's not something that's easy to do every single day or every single hour. I think the biggest battle we all face is the one against our own minds. But I also think that you know, get your own house in order before you go out there and try to change the world, right? In the famous words of Jordan Peterson, if you yourself haven't got the basic things in your life sorted and you can't take care of that, right. then I think that's, that's where right. it, you do get that narcissism where it's, it's quite audacious to have someone who has, you know, their entire life falling apart and they haven't been able to sort out any of the main areas, but then they want to go out there and lecture everybody else, sort of over overthrow and overhaul and dismantle the entire system despite the fact they can't even keep their own bedroom clean. Right. It becomes a projection. And, and you know, you've had this interesting upbringing, right? You, you grew up in, did you grow up most of your childhood in Saudi Arabia? And then you were in Great Britain, I think, and then back to uh, schooling in Britain. How, how has that shaped uh, your sort of outlook? Yeah, sure. So it's been a bit of a mix. So I was born in the UK, family background originally from Nigeria, moved to Saudi Arabia as a baby, went to school there from kindergarten to fifth grade. At the age of 11, I went to a boarding school in England, and between 11 and 20, it's back and forth between the two countries multiple times a year. Um, in terms of how it's shaped my perspective, man, it, I think it's just given me a very global worldview and the ability to see and appreciate things from more angles than the average person is able to. At this point, I've been to 43 different countries, some of the many times I've done events in in, in several of those. And over the course of time, I've spoken to, 
I mean, I've met and spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. I don't mean online. I mean, if you had the internet, then it's going to be millions of people. But in real life, I have personally met and encountered, you know, had conversations with hundreds of thousands of people of all sorts, every stripe. And so from that, I think it's helped me to build my empathy and just to be able to look at all sorts of issues from different angles, not just from um, a British perspective or an American perspective or even a Western perspective. But I mean, I grew up in the Middle East. I spent 20 years living in Saudi Arabia. Of course, my family yeah. background is originally from, uh, you know, from, from Nigeria, from West Africa. So you just gain those different perspectives. And I think it also gives me a permanent sense of gratitude as well, not just to have that upbringing, but because I know I've seen enough of the world to see the range. And so if you take a, a country like the USA or the UK, it, it's very trendy in some circles to just talk about how terrible these countries are and how everything is messed up and how they're the worst places to be, whatever it might be. Um, you know, oh, they're run by fascists and racists and homophobes and transphobes and all these kind of things. And when people say these things, it, to me, it's a dead giveaway that they haven't been anywhere. The dead giveaway that they don't know much about the world. They haven't experienced other countries and other cultures. And they, they have this ingratitude because they don't know what most of the world is actually like. There is a good reason why millions of people are trying legally or illegally to enter the USA and the UK. Um, at the same time, when you travel, you also learn that our countries are not perfect. They have a lot of flaws. There's many things that um, the USA is the best country at. And there's some things that the USA is one of the worst countries at. And it's hard to fully appreciate that if you've, if you've never been anywhere else and if you haven't left it before. So I think the perspective is the, is the greatest thing. And I, it's why I'm so keen on recommending, particularly to young people, that they do travel. Go see your own country and also go see a few other countries as well. I think it's impossible to see more of the world and become more ignorant. That's not what happens. Yeah. It, um, right. it, it reduces ignorance, it reduces naivete, and it increases empathy and it also increases gratitude. And I think gratitude is something we could certainly do more with in our society and culture. For sure. So I'm looking at a tweet that you put out uh, in October of 21, and uh, you may not remember, it's about misinformation and disinformation being harmful. And then you say, uh, not always, but sometimes. On the flip side, lies that bolster the approved narrative are rarely labeled as misinformation or harmful. And I would argue that in the two years since that tweet, most of the misinformation that was non-narrative supportive turned out to be correct. And a lot of the narrative turned out to be misinformation. And, and then this whole notion of platforming people. How dare you platform somebody? That What do we do with those ideas? I'll tell you what. I'm going to be pretty blunt here. I think one of the problems yeah. that we are facing in the West and have been particularly for the last decade is we are taking stupid people and stupid ideas too seriously. I think there are ideas that people are espousing and repeating and yelling which are completely absurd. Um, you know, whether this is, can a woman have a penis? Can men get pregnant and menstruate? Like, this is a, a conversation that's been going on for over a decade at this point about just basic biological reality. And instead of laughing at the people with the dumbest opinions, instead we put them in positions of power and then let them set policy that affects all of the rest of us. Um, we saw this a lot during the whole pandemic era as well. 
And so, look, everyone has a right to an opinion, and we should have the battle of ideas, and everyone should be allowed to speak. I'm very much of a, a free speech advocate. But um, not opinions are of not all opinions are of equal value, especially when they're not backed up by any type of facts or reality or reasoning. And this is why censorship gets pushed, because people who have good ideas do not need censorship. If I have an idea and I've thought it through and I'm able, able to articulate it and back it up and explain my opinion, I have no fear of other people who may question it or challenge it or have a different perspective. However, if I'm putting out an idea which I know to be false or which I know that I can't really back, then now it's it, now it is my imperative to try to, uh, if I'm a tyrant, to try to censor and ban other people from speaking. So I think something really interesting happened, for example, when, when Elon Musk bought t- Twitter, which is now uh, known as X. And this is that there was a massive backlash, particularly on the left side of the political aisle, not because they feared that they would be banned or censored, but because they were afraid that the people they wanted banned and censored and the opinions they wanted banned and censored would now be able to be out there in the world and people would be able to see and hear them. I think that that's particularly interesting. I mean, if you look at history, the people trying to do the censoring and the banning and restriction of free speech are typically, are typically not the good guys. So yeah. this is what I think. I think that the, the terms misinformation and disinformation are propagandistic terms in themselves. They are typically used to just casually dismiss and shut people down, shut down ideas and shut down people. Uh, they, they never quite explain why it's misinformation or why it's disinformation. They just say, oh, this person is spreading disinformation. Um, but they won't actually deal with the arguments that they are putting forward. And we've seen this a lot over the past years. But as I said, it is a weapon that seems to be losing its power. And uh, I definitely look forward to seeing how it all plays out over the next few decades. I have a great book recommendation for you. It's called Cynical Theories. Cynical Theories. I, I recommend it most highly because it it talks uh, about James how, Lindsay and Helen Pluckers, right? Correct. Uh, and it it there it is. And, and it talks about how post-structuralism and the lack of you were you were saying these are silly ideas, but you got to understand in a world where truth doesn't exist and everything's a human construct, you can do whatever you want. Everything's a good idea, uh, as long as you can defend it with a theory. And, and that is that what you're asking for is for a restoration of pragmatism and a foundation in reality, and the fact that there needs to be a consensus that our little noggin this little instrument we've got is should be used to ascend to some contemplation of the truth which you will never fully know but we can approximate it yeah and look people are welcome to have whatever goofy theories and ideas that they want as long as they i just would ask that they stop polluting the rest of us with them um that they stop (laughs) infecting the schools stop and stop indoctrinating children stop infecting the universities. People are free to believe whatever they want. I have no problem with someone believing that the sky is yellow and that water is pink. But if you try to get me to state that the sky is yellow and the water is pink, then we're going to have a problem. And if you try to ban everyone who is saying that, you know, the sky is blue and water is clear and the ocean appears blue, uh, if you're going around trying to censor and ban those people, then that's when we have a problem. 
Um, people are allowed to, like I said, people can believe whatever they want. But when you try to force those beliefs on people, particularly even more egregiously beliefs that are, that are not true and which are demonstrably false, then that's the entire issue. That's the problem people have with it. It's not about, um, theories that people might have in their minds. It's what's being done with those ideas and how they are being pushed through various systems as if they are, you know, dogmatic truths. It's sort of a, a weird way to gain political power is by if you, if I can get somebody to believe, you know, that, you know, that red is green and green is red, then imagine the control I have over those people. What, what else might I get them to believe? Yeah, absolutely, man. This is uh, why I found the whole uh, scandemic era so concerning, because if you can make people believe absurdities, then you can get them to commit atrocities. And that has played out many mm -hmm. times. In human history, there were a lot of echoes of that. If you understand the psychological and the mechanisms, the tribalism that was um, at play, and there was a lot to, there was and still is a lot to learn from that period. And I don't think that collectively we have reflected well on it. I think that for various reasons, people want to sort of just move on and pretend that none of it happened, and people didn't do right. what they did, and people didn't say what they say. Uh, let's just all move on and be kumbaya. But, um, look, I, I believe that that, that two and a half year period fundamentally and permanently changed the state of humanity. I don't think that that genie is going back in the bottle. I think that on so many levels, mentally, spiritually, um, in terms of the trust within society, in terms of trust between neighbors, trust in institutions, mm -hmm. all of these things I think are now permanently changed. Uh, regardless of what position, People took throughout that period and regardless of what they believed or what they did or didn't do i, I believe that everyone is fundamentally changed to a degree um you, you, and, you said you said you, yeah. you mentioned some psychological mechanisms at, at play in terms of how this happened what were you referring to mm. i'm referring to us versus them mentality mm. i am referring to how when people are frightened and confused, a large percentage of people default to authoritarianism. They don't just expect mm -hmm. it, but they, they don't just accept it, but they demand it when people are sufficiently frightened. And that's something that's very scary. I'm talking about uh, yes. dehumanization and demonization of people based off of whatever the characteristic may be. In this case, it was, uh, you know, vaccine status, you know, whether someone took a shot or they didn't take a shot, let's change how laws apply to them. I mean, look, let's, Look, in some countries, they went as far as building camps. Let's think about that. They went as far yeah. as building camps for people who did not want to take the shot. I mean, you want to talk about heading down a dark road? I mean, do I, do I need to explain that? There are nations where, I mean, people got, how many millions of people lost their jobs? How many millions of people were unable to see their loved ones who died during that uh, two plus year time period? You had places where, I mean, I, I went to Australia in late 2022 after they've removed their mm. restrictions and um, people were traumatized out there in Victoria. Um, you know, the, the state that the city of Melbourne is in, I mean, they had over 500 days of hard lockdowns. I think after China, they had the longest lockdowns in the entire world. And this is a real lockdown. People were not allowed out of their house for more than one hour per day. People were not allowed to go more than three or five kilometers away from where they live. They actually had police checkpoints set up. They had drones. They had riot police out there. 
there were countries where you were not allowed to pump gas, put fuel in your vehicle without showing proof of vaccination. There's places where they wouldn't let you board a plane, board a train, go to work, earn a salary. I mean, how many restaurants across the USA, how many restaurants in California alone, how many small businesses got permanently shut down over that time period? I mean, it's weird how people, there's this sort of collective amnesia that, oh, none of, none of that really happened. And uh, oh, if it boy. did, it was just, no, no, uh, yeah. I don't know, the, 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 the science changed or whatever. And it's just like, no, the science the science didn't change. Um, there were many of us who were calling this stuff out from early 2020 and who were asking questions and who were pointing out the holes in the narrative. And, um, you know, we got called grandma killers and anti-vaxxers and horrible people and, um, you know, all other sorts of epithets. And very few people have been like, hmm, okay, you know, maybe, maybe some of those people who are questioning the narrative, maybe they had a point. Maybe they weren't just crazy conspiracy theorists who wanted my grandma to die. You know, um, maybe we've learned something from this, but. I think I think at this yeah. point it's just pride and ego. I think the pride and ego just simply won't allow many people to say, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe maybe I made a mistake, or maybe we got something wrong." We we have one political leader in Canada. The uh, she's some I don't know what her exact position is. She works. She's in Alberta, Canada, and she said we got it wrong, and I apologize. And I thought I, I immediately want to speak to this woman. I want I want to pu- pu- push her out uh, and uh, see if other people can follow in, in her in her footsteps. I have to take a little break, Zuby. We'll be right back quickly. Uh, again, you can follow Zuby at Zuby Music on Instagram and X, ZubyMusic.com and TeamZuby.com for merchandise and we'll be back right after this are you one of the millions of american women and men dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in your family start 2024 with a real solution that delivers results without the harsh side effects or unwanted chemicals and no need for prescription provia uses a safe natural ingredient procapil to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and hair loss by supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping. Every introductory package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Don't wait. Order now to save an extra 10% and get free shipping at ProviaHair.com forward slash Drew. That's P-R-O-V-I-A-H-A-I-R, ProviaHair.com slash D-R-E-W. As a physician, I am deeply concerned about efforts to erode the doctor-patient relationship. And as medical freedom continues to come under assault, I'm on a mission to empower you to be able to take care of yourselves and your family the way you want to. I urge you to get this medical emergency kit from The Wellness Company. It contains essential prescription medication you should really always have on hand. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough, Chief Scientific Officer. It's a very broad and diverse medical kit. can handle everything from a urinary tract infection, a fungal infection, a bronchitis. People can, you know, via telemedicine, uh, get their questions answered and get on the right track. But it's basically an at-home formula. Yep. For the first time, people, instead yep. of being... Uh, uh, held captive by an urgent care or by a doctor's office or an ER, they can actually do this themselves at home. Save yourself the weight and the hassle and feel better faster. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off. That is drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off the medical emergency kit. 
Zuby joins us, the podcast again. We want to get you involved with it. Uh, it is called Real Talk with Zuby. Just, uh, I imagine it's available uh, everywhere, right? Everywhere you listen to podcasts? Yep, all the usual places, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you'd like to listen. So I used a term before we went out to break, talent stack. I'm used to hearing those, that, those two words together coming from Scott Adams. Are you, a, are you a disciple of sorts of his, or is that something uh, you <laughs> had come to on your own? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say a disciple. I'm a, I'm a fan, and uh, I know him. He's uh, been on my podcast before, and we've got another interview, which is going to be coming out in uh, either end of this month or in March, actually. Now, he's gotten a little, um, I, I disagree with his opinions about marriage. And you seem a little closer to him than me, but I'd say between me and him. So you, let, me put, let me mention a tweet you put out about marriage. and Because uh, I, I sort of feel like, the, I'll just turn over my cards first, and I really feel like, oh, this is a video. Darn. Big prediction for the century is going to be a huge increase in migration, that's your migration thing. Uh, I, I clicked on the wrong X post, but I imagine your feelings oh, okay, on okay. marriage are the same. Um, but but it, my thing is, these are the has, throughout human history, and I mean since we were cavemen, the fundamental unit has been fundamentally in you know, a two people raising a child. Uh, and certainly, if you've ever raised a child, you realize it is not something you want to do on your own. And whether you know how we characterize those two people as a i'm completely open to that but the idea that we sort of uh cast asunder this basic unit that it seems to be the foundation has seemed to have been the foundation of every society we have built i worry about that what do you say i'm ultra pro-marriage i don't know why anyone would think otherwise oh maybe i misread everyone your, everyone your in my family tweet. apart from my 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 parents have been married for almost 50 years, um, and they have a beautiful marriage. All of my siblings are married. Um, I'm up next. I'm one of five. I'm the youngest one, so uh, I'll be the next one. And I absolutely will get married, and uh, I look forward to it. But I don't think everyone should get married. Okay. okay, I think that's really what I was getting wrong here. Uh, that I used to think, and you said you used to think that, that it was bad that marriage rates are dropping, but now I think it's good because some people have no business getting married. We shouldn't be forcing them into it. Is, is that what you mean by that? Exactly. Um, I think that the there are a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of said in the tweet. I don't think that. I think most people should get married. If I look around the world, I think that most people are built and wired for marriage, and if they can do it properly, that's the best thing for them. But I also think there are people who really shouldn't. And I think that those people also drive up the uh, very uh, high divorce statistics, which we have in our countries, which yeah. puts other people off it. Because when people see a raw divorce statistic that is, let's say, between 40 and 50%, um, that is scary. As an unmarried person, that is a scary, that's a terrifying number. Um, because it makes it look as if it's just a, to a coin toss. But a lot of what's going on there is there are, you know, there are people who get married serially, two, three, four, <laughs> five, sometimes six marriages. Um, and those are all included in the statistics. I personally right. view marriage as a, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I view it through a, through a religious lens. 
And I think that um, in the West, sadly, I think that it has been very heavily diluted. And I think that one of the reasons why um, people view the institution with, with some skepticism now is, well, a lot of people are coming from, sadly, I mean, I don't know, I don't know the numbers, but it wouldn't surprise me if half of the people in my generation in the USA are coming from some type of broken family. And um, when someone has been through that, I'm very blessed that I haven't been. But even if I t- look, th- look, it's, if, if we want to sum it, sum up where we are, if I even tell people that my parents have been married for almost 50 years, yeah, they're always like, oh, my gosh, you're so lucky. That's so rare. That's so surprising. That's amazing. People almost expect it to fail. And yeah. that means that we need to take my, the type of uh, marriage my parents have. I imagine if you went back just a few decades ago, it wasn't something that was rare and surprising and anomalous. It was just like, hey, that was That's the right. norm. Thing that, you know, right. if, I, if I look at the numbers, I mean, 100 years ago or so, I believe the divorce rate was under 5%. It's still under five percent oh, in many countries. It was uh, yeah. forbidden for forbidden by the church. You go a little further back, and then the then the laws were reflective yeah. of that for in many countries. Yeah, and, but, it, but and they, it's they, been it's been overly liberalized to the point where many people treat it just like extended dating. So the point in those type of tweets, and perhaps some of my views and opinions that other people that, that some people might misunderstand, is this is me. Be, I'm so pro marriage that I lament the. I, I, I lament these numbers. I lament these these statistics. Um, and I think that there are changes that need to be made. I think that there are legal changes that need to be made and social and cultural shifts that need to be made in order to promote the institution. Because I totally agree with you that the family unit is the best form of governance that exists. And it is the fundamental unit of a society. <laughs> The, the, I, I really see the divorce thing accelerating. My theory is as a result of our governor, Ronald Reagan at the time, creating no-fault divorce in this state, and that got then adopted by all the other states. And that really accelerated the, the ease with which people went at divorce. The other thing is, in terms of the declining marriage rate, I saw it coming on. I was talking to young people for decades as this came on. And the, and it was so clear to me what the source of their unwillingness to get married was that they had been so hurt by their own family of origin, dysfunction, and rupture that they didn't want to dare attempt and to put somebody else through that or to possibly be the the, the source of that kind of misery. They just couldn't bear it. So it literally was the failure of really marriages in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that really set this up. It was so, and no one talks about it. People were harmed by it. Look, when you talk about adverse childhood experiences, the so-called ACE score that determines, that contributes to mental illness and physical illness, divorce is one of the ACE, ACE experiences. Divorce is in there, split marriage is in there. And so we have to get very realistic about the profound impact it has and then help people kind of regain their confidence and their ability to have a long-term relationship that, that has process. <clears throat> All you need is what's called process, which is you know commitment. You commit to it and then you work on it when things get tough. That's what you do. That's how you get through it. You don't leave. <clears throat> yeah, um, and that's the problem. I agree with you. I, I personally believe that no-fault divorce laws have been an absolute travesty 
for all the countries that have adopted them. Because, it, like I said, I think it dilutes the entire institution. It creates perverse incentives and it makes people less committal. We, we live in a very non-committal age. <laughs> we, we live in a time where... Susan, he, he put a picture of us I up here. It. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Shout That's out to you. I massively respect we, we, we look young in those pictures, but we were, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So there you go. I was five years old at that. I was five years old at that time. But it, but it's beautiful. That's what it's. <laughs> that's what it's supposed Stop to be. Stop bragging. That is what it's. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know being thirty-seven years old was a flex, but um, I'll take it. Um, mm. but yeah, no, I I think that that, that that's wonderful. Um, and the thing is, I think again, having a global perspective, I think people forget that around the world, what's going on right now. In a country like the USA in that regard, that is not the norm. There are many, many countries in this world where over 95% of marriages are till death do us part, right? Until, until one spouse passes away, those people are together. All of the children are raised under that umbrella. Around the entire globe, I think it's something of like 7%, only 7% of children worldwide, I think, are raised by a single parent. I think in the USA, that number is approaching 30%. So the USA is more than four times higher than the global average when it comes to, uh, to single parenthood. And yeah. that's not good. That has a lot of downstream no. problems. I, I understand that, you know, I don't expect the world to be perfect and I don't expect people to be perfect, but that doesn't mean that we should not have standards that we aim for and we strive for. It's difficult to stay in shape. It's difficult to eat a healthy diet. It's difficult to exercise regularly, get enough sleep. That doesn't mean that those standards just go away and that we should all just succumb and become obese and lazy and just eat junk. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And I think that the most things that are difficult to do, I mean, there, there, aren't, there aren't that many things in the world uh, beyond, you know, basic, basic, basic things that we need for most fundamental survival. Most things, there aren't many things that are worth doing, which are easy. Um, most well, things certainly... that are going to, yeah, most things that are going to get you success or achievement or, uh, status or money yeah. or whatever, they're, they're, they're difficult. They're difficult. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, if you remember the guys from the all in, uh, podcast, David Sachs and those guys, they were, they were one day, you know, they were talking about work life balance and young people's sort of obsession with that. And they all three said, look, if you're going to be successful, you're going to work your ass off. You're going to have sacrifices or you're not going to have success. It's one or the other. I, I mean, you may get lucky and fumble into something, but that tends not to happen. Work, ten, extremely hard work seems to be a necessary ingredient to even modest success. Yeah. So again, I think the reason why a lot of people are sad in our time, the reason why I think that there's a lot of reasons why mental health is declining, but I think one of the big ones is simply the gap between people's expectations and their perceived realities. And this might not be a popular thing to say, but I think a lot of people need to reduce their expectations. I think that yeah. when you look around most of the world and when you look through people, human history, I think that people's expectations were more grounded. And as a result, even though they objectively lived more difficult lives, they were happier and felt more meaning, purpose, and fulfillment that, than a lot of people, especially young people, do now because their expectations are through the roof. And then they're experiencing their reality. And there, there's this massive gap 
which is causing them to feel anxious or depressed or feel like something is not going right in their life. Whereas the reality is just that perhaps their expectations are not realistic. So if someone wants to achieve huge levels of success, for example, I don't know, they want wealth or they want fame or they want to be a star uh, athlete or create a huge YouTube channel or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to that. I, I love ambition. I'm a very ambitious person. But you then need to be willing to put in the work. The expectation can't be, oh, I'm going to have the biggest right. podcast in the world or I'm going to have my own radio show or TV show and I'm going to be a superstar basketball player. But I don't want to go to training. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to make thousands of pieces of content. I don't want to promote myself every day. Um, I have no problem with people who are just like, you know what? I'm not hyper ambitious. I'm cool just having enough to live and enjoying my life and enjoying my family and being able to cool. That's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. Those people right. are not complainers. Those people are not complainers. Right. It's just like, okay, cool. Like that, that's totally fine. Not everyone needs to be uh, wanting to be the next Elon Musk or be, be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. That's totally yeah. fine. You don't need to aspire to be a billionaire. Um, but if you do aspire to be a billionaire, then you've got to be willing to work like one. And not only that, the other thing I see people avoiding is you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to be very uncomfortable and you have to do fearless self-objective evaluation. You have to you have to look at your strengths and weaknesses and constantly update or find ways to buttress them with other people or whatever it might be, reading, education. You have to have that. And that, to me, seems like one of the things that's missing in this age of um, self-esteem you know, why, why should I get better? Because Wawa Wubsy said, hey, I'm me, I'm perfect, and no one else is like you, so you're the best. It's like, that is not the way to raise capable people. You, if you think about all the religious injunctions over the years, you're a sinner, you're bad, you're broken, you need God to restore you, and that <laughs> seems to work better for people than telling them they're just the best, period, because they're you. Yeah, exactly. The world doesn't owe you much just because you exist and take up space and breathe, breathe oxygen. That's just the reality of it. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7 a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. And look, ultimately, I, I'm not too worried about these things because 
it's all self-correcting. The truth is, despite how much people try to push against it, most things in the world are something approaching a meritocracy. We all start mm-hmm. in different positions and different places, and we have different talents, abilities, and experiences and personalities. But over the course of an entire lifetime, you can see how things work out for people. So if there is that person who just wants to spend decades complaining and moaning and not doing anything to improve their station, then you're going to see that person a couple of decades later, and they're going to be in the same place, if not a worse one. But then you see the people who do adopt certain mindsets and do take action, and they're consistent, and they work hard, and they keep on going even when things they get difficult. And then you see the position they're in in the future. And again, the proof is in the pudding. And one of those is much more aspirational than the others. So I think generally when people want to achieve success in something, it's wise to look at people who have done it or look at people who are doing it and learn from them. Follow their example, follow their lead, and that's what works. Yeah, somebody was, uh, is that Bondo was saying they like what I said about the self-esteem movement. I, I have low self-esteem. And now it's uncomfortable when you're an adolescent, but when you're an adult, it helps you check yourself, blame yourself. You don't, you don't blame out there for everything that happens. You, you take on the responsibility and assume that, yeah, it's me. So therefore, I must have done something that I could do better. And uh, you just constantly, constantly adjust to that. Do, do you have, you know, as we get more and more intrusion uh, from government and, and all this centralized authority that seems to be going on where you know one group seems to be putting all goodness in these centralized authorities and badness and it's you're bad if you want to be autonomous and free and by the uh, same token by the way those groups that are doing the flip which is only goodness exists in autonomy and freedom and any centralized authority is all bad and the reality is somewhere in, in the middle but certainly the the since COVID, as you said, has changed everything. And this intrusion was uh, extraordinary. And it seems to have continued into certain standards. Like I said, we just heard about the French limiting speech on a scientific uh, endeavor for which there must be varied opinions. That's the scientific process. But what what is your sort of playbook for uh, pushing back? What, what, is, what do we do going forward? You've mentioned a lot of things about assessing ourselves and being responsible and gratitude. And I, I heard a lot of different ideas, but is there sort of a, is it, is it about just continuing to push for free speech and standing up and being courageous and interviewing people that maybe other people have tried to cancel as misinformation or disinformation? Do we have just a responsibility to keep pushing out with platforms just so people can continue to speak and give everything sunlight? Yeah, absolutely. I think you focus on your locus of control. I think we all have to admit and accept as much as we may not like it, but we cannot control most things in the world. Most people can't even control themselves, let alone other people, let alone the government, let alone foreign governments, let alone whatever sits across or above those governments, which we're not even aware of. And it's very easy to go down a very deep rabbit hole where you spend all of your time and all of your mental energy and all of your consideration on things that you cannot control. Um, (laughs) This is why I think it's good to be interested in politics and to be politically active, but it's not good or healthy to make it your be all and end all, particularly Mm -hmm. on a federal or on a global level, because it's like, well, what is your power over that? Unless you're going to run for president or you're going to run for a governor or something like, You can't affect that. But what you can do is you can take control of your own mindset. You can take control of your physical body. 
you can exercise, get in shape, eat a good diet, encourage the people around you too. If you are a parent, you can do your best to raise good, excellent children and put that out into the world. And then they will go on and do good and excellent things. And it ripples outwards. Mm -hmm. We've all got different talents. We've all got different roles. Uh, we have different skill sets. My skill set is not the same as the next person. And so I think we just all have to get in where we fit in and do our best to be excellent people and to be excellent to ourselves and excellent to one another and to do our best to use our God-given talents to uplift humanity, uplift our neighborhoods, uplift our communities. We, we know that the answers are not going to come from the government. The government is not going to come in all these bureaucrats and politicians. They're not, they're not going to fix our problems. Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab are not going to fix all of our problems, but, but no. we can. If each of us as individuals does our best to fulfill our potential and to live our lives in service to other people, then um, that's, a, that's a pretty good formula because I believe that the people always ultimately have the power. There's a lot more of us than there are of them, whoever them is. And so if we recognize that and we act accordingly and we do what we can within our locus of control and our spheres of influence, then I think if we do that collectively, then absolutely we can have an impact. The two of us speaking here, we're, we're just two guys, right? We're not yeah. mm. particularly extraordinary or blessed with some no. superpower or something, but we are both yeah. able to reach millions of people and use our voices and use our minds and use our skills to nudge people in a positive direction, encourage them to think, encourage them to be more optimistic, encourage them to uh, challenge some of their beliefs and to question narratives, encourage them to just be good people in the world and to treat other people well. And um, look, if we, if we can nudge millions of people, then other people can do the same. It might be dozens, it might be hundreds, it might be thousands. And um, I think that's really how we do it. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing you say is something I completely agree with, and I think you'll probably agree with my construct, is you use the strengths you have, be grateful for them, and be creative in applying them in such a way that you do good. That's it. Pretty simple, right? There I think it that's it. And encourage, and, other and, and encourage other people to do the same. Hey, now I'm going to ask a very mercenary question on my part uh, for me. Uh, which is I've I have met so many extraordinary people from Nigeria and West Africa, and I whenever I always think God I do not know a history of that region, uh, except for the Masa Musa was that his name Mansa Musa who was the richest man in the world from Mali, who uh, I'll, do you know the story about uh, yeah not, not, Musa, in, not in great detail but yeah. I know the name well it, it, Masa so, Musa, what I he think. did what. Masamusa, and he had so many, Caleb, you can look me up, look it up for me, make sure we're getting it right. But he had so much wealth uh, when, he was, when he was the head of an empire that he did a European tour and just handed out gold wherever he went. And he caused so much inflation wherever he traveled that he crashed the economies of every city he visited. <laughs> so he had, to go, he had to go back through and buy the gold back in order to stabilize the economies in these areas. It was, you know, first lesson in, in uh, inflation, people. They knew it in the ninth century. So you can't just hand out gold. It doesn't work. Yeah, don't, don't, don't hand out gold and cause inflation. 
<laughs> and so uh, my, my question is, do you have any books of the history of the region that, that you recommend? I, I've, wa- I've been meaning to ask somebody for, for that. They're just, it's just an extraordinary mm-hmm. region. And the, the interplay between that region and Europe is massively important for the history of the world. And most of, uh, you talk about white supremacy, that's Eurocentric white supremacy, is that they, we don't know that history and we should know it as well as we know the history of Germany or France, seems to me. Uh, but I have never gotten any good resources for that. I'm glad you asked me this question because I don't have a good answer for it, which means that I myself need to do more research. When you find a book that you think is good, and I need something that, you know, I'm a beginner, and so I need something that really, you know, it's narrative where I can follow it and make sense of it all. And it, it you know, one of the things, by the way, when I've, I've, I ask this of my West African friends every once in a while, and they will always say, "We don't talk about it." We don't talk about the history. And, and I always think, mm, there's something, now there's really something there. <laughs> now, now we got to talk about it. I, I'm guessing there was wars and things that, that sort of were not so great. Uh, but, you know, what civilization didn't have that, right? Yeah, also in, um, I know that certainly in some West African countries, I don't know if this has changed now, but I know that for a long period, I know that they didn't teach history in the schools, just like they don't teach history in some other countries around the world, or if they do, it's very restricted and limited. So interesting. Um, yeah, I never went to school myself in Nigeria, but, um, mm. from conversations I've had with people who did, it seems that certainly, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't know what it's like right now, but I know there was definitely mm. a time period if, if it's still not continuing where the, uh, the, the teaching of history, at least in the school system, which was very limited, but I'm sure there's some great I, books out I, there. I, I just don't know which ones they are. Yeah, let me know if you find something specific, and I'll look around myself. If I find something, I'll send it to you. But but th- th- there's never been a more important time to study your history than right now, I would argue. I mean, I'm, there probably have been. Mansa Musa, there he is, richest person in history, Mansa Musa. And, and uh, Mali, he was a Mali king. Uh, $400 billion. <laughs> there you go. That's why I, I don't even think he could be estimated. He was, he was, so, he had so much concentrated wealth, but, <laughs> but the, 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 uh, the point being is that there probably have been other periods of history where, of where history uh, knowledge has been important, but I would argue that right now is about as important as any. It's getting complicated and we need to, humans, you know, people, History may not exactly repeat itself, but it certainly, what is the, it rhymes. That's the statement. It certainly has a tendency to rhyme. So, Zuby, I've always wanted to spend time talking to you. I appreciate you spending a little time with me here today. Um, I'll send everyone over to Zuby Music on X. Where else would you like people to go? What's coming up? Yeah, sure. So, you can check out my, uh, I've got a book out right now, which is called Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. That's available at teamzuby.com. I've also got a book called The Candy Calamity. That's a, an awesome children's book. A lot of fun. Um, and that's available Great at candycalamity.com. Yep. And then um, I'm on all social media at Zuby Music. That's just Z-U-B-Y Music. You can find my podcast and all of my music on all digital platforms. Very easy to find. If in doubt, just search my name, Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, and you will find me. Give me a little taste of what, what's coming up on the podcast. We can sort of... Uh, Kind of. Oh yeah, sure. Um, well, okay. Well, I'm doing more in-person interviews this year. This is the first uh, interview I'm doing where I'm, you know, revealing some of the guests. But I guess I put it up on X Notes not so long ago. So I've got interviews coming up with uh, Larry Elder, Scott Adams, um, Michael Schellenberger. Let me just give mm-hmm. those three. There, there's many more to come. Okay. 
Um, but over the next couple of months, I've got, got some really big guests and some great conversations lined up. So good great. time to subscribe. I, I, I've met Schallenberger. How brilliant is that dude? How smart is he? You 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 spend about thirty seconds with him. And you're like, wow, wow, that is a that, use that brain for good, sir. <laughs> it's 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 a quite an instrument. Yeah, for sure. All He's right. a good dude uh, as well, man. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. He is a good dude. All right. Well, thank you. Hopefully, we'll vi visit you someday in Florida because we we do spend a little time down there and we um, enjoy visiting our friends in Florida because uh, everybody's happy down there, especially in Southern Florida. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, we'll see you. We'll see you down there. Thanks, Ubi. Nice, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. And uh, let's put the schedule coming up here. We uh, are going to be gone. We're actually traveling to Mexico tomorrow. Uh, Rob Henderson, when we come back, Dr. Willie Soon, Dr. Tess Laurie, and that will be a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Tess Laurie, I think, is at noon or one, something like that. And then when we come back, the following crazy lineup, Brett Weinstein, Dave Rubin, Kevin Bass with Kelly Victor, who's making her command return, and uh, the, old, the old one and only Adam Carolla. Who, uh, is he going to come in, Susan? Corolla going to come into the studio? Yeah, who knows? Uh, we'll see what we can get. Uh, well, we'll see. Follow at Ask Dr. Drew for updates on shows and whatnot. And uh, we appreciate you all being here. Uh, anything, Caleb, from your standpoint? No, that was great. We've had a great, this is a great week of, of shows and interviews. It, we, a bunch it, of great you can see here. what, yeah, you can see what uh, Emily has done, Emily Barsh. I mean, just been an extraordinary guest. And, and it's not going to, it's not going to stop for the next, I, I don't know how long, frankly, I've been sending her th interesting ideas. She's been sending me ideas and we're just like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of, I like that Alberta politician who apologized. I want to talk to her. I want to, let's get her in here and just see what she's thinking. And there's a lot of people we need to come back around on. So there's a lot to, a lot of room to cover and uh, not the least of which is that the world continues to change and have backlashes and we need to keep aware and addressing these things so we'll see what we can do we appreciate you all being here i, I saw a lot of activity on the restream and the rumble rants today i was watching you guys a lot of zuby love there and we appreciate that and we will return on wednesday is that correct wednesday will be with rob henderson his new book is called troubled He's another great guest, and you will enjoy that. So we'll see you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 273 8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com/help.